Welcome back, Actual Nerds Plus subscribers and AAP podcast listeners. Chris Versace here, and we have yet another edition of the AAP podcast. And I'm so happy to welcome back Bob Lang. Uh, I always love my conversations with Bob, as uh, as longtime subscribers at the street know. Bob and I have a history that goes back uh, many years. Uh, we first uh, teamed up on Trifecta, and of course, um, Bob is a part of the AAP team. So I always value his insights, both on the market in general, stock-specific, of course, leveraging his technical expertise. Roberto, welcome back. Great to be with you, Chris. Always, uh, always a lot of fun to spend a little bit of time talking about different topics, the markets and so forth. And I, you know, I'd be, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you, you know, I'm on, I'm on the West coast this week, heading back home tomorrow night. Um, and, um, it's hot. I mean, obviously July on record, apparently was the hottest month ever recorded in the history of the planet. Um, it has spilled over into August and of course, you know, where I'm at, I'm in the desert and I'm not in Arizona, of course, where it's, 110 degrees on average for the past month, but it is pretty darn hot here in the uh, in, in in Southern California. Desert. And, and Bob, since you mentioned you're out on the West Coast, California in particular, I have to ask, how's the traffic? It's horrible, Chris. I, I, it's all I've been doing is just spending my time driving. The last two days actually have been great because I haven't been, haven't been out of the house except for uh, going out to dinner. But uh, the, the, the first four days of my trip, I, all I was doing was I was sitting in the parking lot on the freeway. That's basically what I was doing. It's horrible. It's horrible. And, and I, I reminded myself why I left California three years ago. <laughs> that's one of the reasons why. So let, let me ask you, you know, because whenever I travel, I always try to keep my, you know, or even when I'm just out and about. Uh, and I know you do this, too. You try to keep your eyes open, kind of see where consumers are going. Are the lines long? Are they spending? Where are they going? Um, Bob, you know, real quick, uh, you know, Chipotle, McDonald's, Clear Secure, Costco, any anything, any observations so far? Well, Costco certainly um, has been a, 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 a standard place for people to shop for this year, uh, as well as uh, especially this summer. I mean, I, I've been there. I've been to Costco three times already this summer, Chris, and every day, every time I'm in there, the lines are huge. People are buying lots of stuff. Um, this past uh, uh, this past weekend, of course, being very very hot, you know, I thought maybe more people would be out uh, uh, out and about. But no, they're in Costco because the air conditioning's on, and they want to, <laughs> they want to stay cool, and they're over by the uh, by the uh, by the freezer box or something like that. Kind of but, opening the door, going. <sighs> yeah. Well, that's 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 what I do. I mean, I, I stick my no face. Sorry, and, sorry, Bob. Bob, no surprise there. <laughs> and, but you know, and, and I know uh, uh, your favorite place in Costco, of course, is at the hot dog counter, finding the food counter. Uh, that is true. Although rumor has it they've just introduced a new item, a uh, very uh, tasty roast beef sandwich. I've heard about that. I haven't tried it yet, but um, um, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure it's on the list. All right. Well, so that's good to hear about Costco. But Bob, you know, just as you're going about, you know, Starbucks, McDonald's, Chipotle, anything else that you're just kind of seeing, or and it doesn't have to be them. It could be elsewhere. Are you seeing people flock uh, and queue up? Yeah, I, I, I do. Some of these restaurants, Chris, I, I do still see people coming in to to buy um, buy burritos at Chipotle. That's a place that I like to. Uh, I like to frequent. Um, also, um, you listen, travel. I was in the airport, obviously, last week flying out here. 
um, I got into LAX and, and it was a madhouse there. It was, and it was in the afternoon, about uh, 12, 15, 12, 30 in the afternoon on a Friday. It was packed, Chris, and the parking lot was jam-packed. Uh, trying to get around the horseshoe there of uh, the airport was, was packed too. I couldn't believe it. I mean, obviously people are traveling this summer, but quite a lot more than I had expected um, for um, basically for the whole summer. So with that said, Bob, I'm going to ask you this question directly because I know that like me, you're actually a user. Uh, Clear Secure, any issues using it? Not at all. No, no, I love Clear Secure. And I'll be, when I fly home tomorrow night, um, I'll be checking in at uh, at LAX to get out. It, it is one of the most easy, most convenient services I've ever, I've ever seen. It flies, brings you right through. You go right in there and you don't even have to check in with the uh, TSA security brings you right through. You throw your bag on the on the conveyor belt. You get right through, and you're done. I I, I swear, Chris. I, I think I've used it at least a dozen times already. I have not spent more than five minutes in line when I've used uh, Clear Secure. So um, it's a great uh, it's a great product. I think more people should uh, should use it. Well, maybe they will as they continue to expand their airport footprint. That's a key part of our thesis for Clear Secure. Um, so, Bob. Uh, safe wishes for safe travels. You mentioned you're coming back uh, tomorrow night, but let's start talking about some of the things that are driving the market. You know, we, we had a very strong uh, last several months, but you know, there seems to be some thought here that we're entering a seasonally weak time of year of the market, and lo and behold, Fitch turns around and downgrades. You know, the U.S. Uh, credit rating. Um, you know, S and P hasn't, Moody's hasn't. But this is obviously moving through the market. And, and you know, I, I shared my thoughts with AAP subscribers today that I, I think, you know, if we look at the tone of the economy, we look at the fact that the debt ceiling, yes, it was a, another episode of kicking the can down the road. I do wish that would stop. Ultimately, there was a deal. Uh, this feels somewhat a little uh, late in the game to do something like this to me, especially since the, the data shows the economy is arguably resilient. We saw that better than expected ADP July jobs report this morning, um, you know, 2Q GDP, 2.4%, up from 2% in March. Again, it just seems like, you know, Fitch is a little uh, off their game, let's call it. But A, what do you think? And I know you're a student of history. How does this compare to the past? Yeah, so um, if we go back, um, the, the first time ever in history that um, the debt was downgraded, was in 2011. Remember, President Obama was there. Joe Biden was the vice president at the time, of course. 2011. Now, <clears throat> what are the similarities between that downgrade and this one that happened last night? Basically, same time frame as it relates to um, when the election is, Chris. So the election uh, being 15 months away from now, also back in 11, 15 months away, it was it was all the, the downgrade was done in August of 2011. It was S&P, not Moody's, not Fitch. I, I want to say Fitch put the United States debt on watch. So the next step, of course, was to downgrade the debt, which happened yesterday. Of course, it took right. 12 and, and, to do it. and let's remember that Fitch put the economy, put, put the U.S. credit rating on watch uh, several months ago. Several months ago, too. So it was a reiteration of watch. And what what it's interesting, you know, what, how could they have the debt on watch? All, you know, all we've always seen is the debt rising for the United States for the past 12 years. Right. And then what are we mm -hmm. at? 30, four, almost thirty five trillion dollars of, uh, of, of debt now. Um, 
I, I don't know what I don't know what their deal is, what the formula is, or the reasonings or the rationale. It doesn't matter to me. But I can tell you this much, Chris. We we are seeing interest rates rising today, and we did see that interest rates rising in 2011 after that downgrade by S and P. But we also saw interest rates falling after that, and we saw the market's volatility um, starting to rise, starting to pick up. We had a lot of volatility um, in 2011 towards the end of, of, of that of that year, but then we saw markets take off to the upside right after that in 2012, and basically picked up where they left off um, just before that downgrade happened. So um, I, I'm not sure if history rhymes here, Chris, but it certainly um, may, may be similar to what we saw uh, 12 years ago. So what did you think of Fitch's downgrade this time for um, the U.S. credit? Yeah, so I, I agree with what you said earlier. I think it's a little bit, they were a little bit late to the party here, and I really don't quite understand um, the, the reasons and the rationale for doing it now as opposed to a few months ago or even a few years ago. You know, I mean, it's just one of those things that, uh, you know, there's still a, an appetite for uh, treasuries. Think of it this way. Um, if we've, we've, we've seen a lot of money flowing from their cash accounts into treasuries. I'm doing the same thing. I'm buying treasuries. Am I in a hurry and a rush because of this downgrade to go ahead and sell my treasuries? Of course not. And I think most people won't do that either. This is this is probably meant to scare people um, made into possibly even selling their bonds. And this is the reason why. This is what happened in 2011, Chris. People started selling their bonds because they thought, oh, my God, credit worthiness is bad. Um, the cost of uh, buying a car is going to go up. The cost of buying a house is going to go up. And couldn't be couldn't be any more wrong than, than that. <laughs> sorry, to, sorry to laugh. That's already happening. Yes, that's right. So right. People, those those costs are moving higher. And, you know, there, there's some stats out. I, I think I just saw like the average uh, APR on a credit card is now over 20 percent. You know, auto loans are getting higher. We know uh, the SLUS report came out as well as some other Fed data. I, I wrote about this to AAP members that banks are continuing to tighten credit standards. The SLUS report said that, you know, yes, that did happen in the second quarter as expected following the bank failures but it's going to happen even more. So it, it sounds like that there's just, you know, a lot of um, tailwinds that, you know, the the amount of spending um, could be a little softer than expected in the back half of the year, just because folks are saddled with incremental cost. And of course, there's also the resumption of the student debt payments uh, that we've been writing and talking about as well. So Bob, let me let me shift gears because in in response to the Fitch downgrade, you know the S and P was down, you know at one point more than one percent today. Um, Helene Meisler, when I talked to her recently, you know uh, you know great great insights as always from her, and even Carly Gardner, you know they were concerned about this seasonal weakness in the month of August. Uh, I think Carly Gardner said, you know, hey, we could see forty two hundred on the S and P five hundred. Not saying that we'll get there, but obviously downside risk. Um, you know, you do a chart on the S and P 500 every week for AAP. Uh, great insights when you when you have that out on Monday morning. Um, what are you seeing now uh, in for that um, market index? What are the levels to watch? Well, now we now we have the S P down with about uh, about 65 handles or something like that <clears throat> today. Um, about one and a half percent. We're blowing through that 20 day moving average. And, and, you know, Chris, we discussed that 20 day moving average, how important it is for the markets to pivot off, 
either to the upside or the downside. And we haven't really tested that downside of below the 20-day moving average, for instance, since the end of May. So it's been almost a little more than two months since we revisited that 20-day moving average here. It's important. 20-day moving average, what is that? That's about a month's worth of, of price action, right? Uh, it's about 20 to 22 trading days in a month. So, so we use the 20 as, a, as an important marker for, uh, for the market. So we, the last time we had a close underneath the 20-day moving average was towards the, uh, right around um, Memorial Day. So here we are uh, at the beginning of August over here, and now we're penetrating that 20-day moving average. Um, so I see, um, I'm not quite as far uh, weak, uh, as far down as uh, negative as Carly is, but I, we can certainly see a move back down to the 50-day moving average, which comes in at around 43, uh, let's call it about 43.50 or so, give or take. Um, that could be an area where, where we would see the markets possibly recover, get really oversold, and then possibly recover, and then figure out where, where we're going to go from there. But I, I, I think that you know we, we need to, really get to an oversold reading. We just crossed out some, crossed through some oscillators yesterday and today, Chris, that that show that we're heading towards that oversold reading, reading but we're not quite there yet. A few more days of down, a few more days of trying to scare people. Um, you know, I, I we, we talked about this recently. Sentiment had been overly bullish over the past yeah. You know, yeah. month and a half, two months. And you even said, hey, Bob, CNN's fear and greed index, it was up at like extreme greed, something yes. like 80. Yes. Well, I, 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 I think what we saw was, look, the market had a very strong run during the second quarter. Um, you know, again, a uh, relatively small basket of stocks driving that. And so far, while the June quarter earnings season has been solid, right, we really haven't seen a lift in expectations for the back half of the year. So, you know, with the SPX, you know, uh, at the end of last week, north of, you know, 20 times 2023 earnings, you got to start to ask yourself, okay, how much more multiple expansion can we get? And if we're not likely to get much more, wink, wink, we're, we were already above the average high PE from 2020 to, sorry, from 2000 to 2022. So I didn't think we were going to get a lot more of that. Tells me that we need to see earnings grow. So the, you know, the E that you define the PE by starts to grow, gives more sustained upside to the market. We haven't seen that yet. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I think the bloom is just a little off the rose on AI, right? AMD came out, you know, their guidance last night. Uh, sorry, the the quarter was, you know, OK, but they guided below expectations for the third quarter. Microsoft, you know, when they reported, they said, you know, AI demand is great, but we're not going to see the leverage to the bottom line because we have to continue to invest so we can meet that demand. So I, I, I think those benefits to AI eventually will be there. I just think in the near term, the mar investors need to kind of rethink the near term expectations or bob as uh, i like to say i know it's one of your favorite words put that hopium down <laughs> hopium down so I, I i agree with you chris i think that um there, there's there's danger in trying to put too much um emphasis on one area especially that's so new i mean just more recently if you go beyond ai here you know there's a lot of uh, there was a lot of faith and trust in 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 uh bitcoin and some of these cryptocurrencies oh, Bob, bitcoin blockchain metaverse Everything. ai who, who knew i mean i i never invested in any of this stuff and i i because i just didn't really know it or understand it but there seemed to be a whole legion of people out there who were complete experts on this stuff 
And fast forward to today, where AI, everybody's an expert on this thing, and, and they, it seems to be the uh, the golden child that's going to take technology up. You know, you and I are both old enough to remember back in the late 90s. Um, sorry to date you, Chris. You know what? We had this um, B2B and B2C. Remember that? Yeah, remember I remember. Remember those terms? You know, that, that they were, were revolutionary uh, terms in, in technology that were going to unleash a huge amount of capital raising and 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 profits for for everybody well it went flat on its face you don't hear that stuff anymore well i i mean to be fair to be fair and, and this is the why i kind of coined the term hopium it's because you know investors in the market they get very excited about the new new thing and a lot of you know enthusiasm i.e momentum kind of you know pours into that um you know more often than not well way more often than not you know, some, uh, you know, reality check has to show up and people realize, oh, this will happen, just not as fast as I thought. And I, I think, you know, we saw certainly saw that, you know, uh, Bitcoin, blockchain, <laughs> metaverse, AR, VR, right? And, yeah. and and now I think we're, we're seeing again with AI. So um, the, the reason I, I brought that up and talking about Microsoft and AMD is because, you know, we're in the thick of earnings season, right? You know, this week alone, we, we saw a 50% jump in the number of companies reporting from the prior week. I want to say it's somewhere between 1,600 and 1,700. Um, by the end of this week, we'll have about roughly 80% of the S&P 500 will have reported. So we are in the thick of things, right? We are in the trenches. And, you know, what we need to do as investors during times like this is understand what a company's competitors, customers, suppliers are saying, right? You really have to, you know, collect those data points because they'll help you understand what the companies you either are invested in or you're watching, looking to invest in are likely to say for their quarter, what they're, how they're likely to guide so you can prepare yourself. It's called doing the homework, not an original thought, but that's what people have to do as not traders, but as active investors, because we're constantly mining for insights and data points. And and Bob, was there, before I, I kind of continue that thought, um, I'll, I'll get off the diatribe here and, and just ask a quick question. Were there any earnings reports that really caught your eye so far this earnings season? Any data points that you were like, wow, that that is really powerful or confirming? Um, no, not not so much, Chris. Oh, the home builders actually came out you know, as a collection, as a group actually came out with really strong earnings over the past couple of weeks. So there's gonna be one or two others that come out next um, later this month. But I, I think that that group right there kind of impressed me. Um, initially, the banks looked look very good only because the banks had all gotten beaten up and the, the bar was so low for them to, uh, to, to meet their numbers like a JP Morgan and a Wells Fargo, Bank of America, which we hold in Actioners Plus. Um, the bar was so low, so they managed to uh, to do it. But as far as technology is concerned, look, you know, some of these stocks have really taken off to the upside in 2023, and the bar is raised for them. You look at a company like you mentioned, AMD. Uh, it took off uh, in the after hours yesterday. I looked to look at the report, Chris, and it wasn't really all that impressive, to be honest with you. And um, so I think that that may have some people worried uh, that NVIDIA um, may have gotten ahead of itself. Um, and then also, but then last night I looked at Match, uh, uh, Match.com, you know, with the, the dating, online dating site. They beat, they raised uh, guidance for um, 
uh, for the next quarter, and the stock is getting beaten up today. I mean, it's up nicely for the year, but it's it's not up nearly as much as it as it so, could have been should have been. So, so, so th this gets back to something that I think you and I have talked about many times in the past, where we we get to a point in the market, and arguably, stock certain stocks are priced to perfection. They've had a great run. You know, the data looks good. Perhaps they're a little extended even. So in order to see the stock move higher, not only do you have to have a clean quarter, right? No, no one-time charges, one-time gains, just a very clean quarter that you're reporting, top and bottom line beats. You've got to raise guidance and you have to raise guidance enough to justify the move in the stock and argue that it should keep going. That is a pretty tall order. And from time to time, there are companies that, that do it. They shoot out the lights. But, you know, when you look at some of these companies that have in this Magnificent Seven that have had such stellar runs year to date, I mean, that's that is a tall order. Yeah. And, and you know, frankly, <clears throat> nobody rings the bell at the top. So nobody rings the bell and says, all right, that's it. We're not going up anymore. So I think, you know, when when you see stocks move like these magnificent seven as you as you mentioned move uh go up like this in such a short period of time we're talking six months here seven months here uh you you, you tend to to get that fear of missing out working uh for you with that the fomo fear of missing out you you want to get on board and so it just creates a lot of momentum and pushes a lot of these stocks it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy chris these stocks tend to move to places where they shouldn't be going and you end up you know, talking from a valuation standpoint, oh, that stock is trading on uh, earnings that are going to be out three years from now, maybe four years from now, and they get very expensive. And then um, you get a day like today, which could lead into some more correcting. And um, you, 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 see, you see how the uh, people who relate to the party end up getting hurt the most. I agree. I agree. And, you know, just to tie it back, you know, you mentioned earlier we were looking at the CNN fear and greed index, extreme greed. You look at the inflows, you know, into equity funds over the last, you know, couple of weeks. And, you know, it. I, I did think that some stocks were likely to get um, to use the um, Alan Greenspan term, Bob, a little frothy. And and it's and it seems that, you know, that may have indeed be the case, you know, but we'll see. But I mean, look, that's why. You know, we, we have to recognize these times. We have to, you know, continue to build our shopping list. So we we pick our points when there are names that we want to own. We wait for them to come in. You know, we've done that recently with the AAP portfolio, just one or two names that are in the bullpen. You know, Morgan Stanley we're waiting on, McDonald's we're waiting on. I think we'll get there. Don't know when, but I do think we will get there. Um, and that's all part of doing the homework and triangulating around uh, all the various conference calls that are going on. Well, I, I was going to say, Chris, I, I, I think <clears throat> what we're trying to do and demonstrate for subscribers is, you know, seeing the excitement over certain names, but being patient and waiting for them to come in, not grabbing those stocks, as you said, that are becoming frothy. I mean, Look at McDonald's. You, you would nobody would ever accuse McDonald's of being frothy. But you know what? Frankly, when I was up near three hundred dollars a share, it was frothy, right? So we we talked about that, and you even you even made the comment said, you know what? Let's wait and see if it pulls back to this two ninety area, maybe a little bit less, and that might be a better entry point for us. If yeah. it keeps going, then God bless them. That that's great. You know, they're selling more hamburgers and French fries. But wow. if it pulls back and gives us well, an opportunity to get in, we're going to get in. 
Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that I do whenever we, you know, assess a new position for the portfolio, I always try to figure out, you know, what's the likely upside versus the downside risk. And, you know, you've heard me say this before, but for for listeners to the podcast, we like to see at least net 20% upside, right? That That's a good risk adjusted trade-off that we can, you know, uh, say, okay, we're comfortable starting to build a position. We know that it could trade lower, right? If it does, we're prepared to, you know, buy more because we'd like to reduce the cost basis. It improves the uh, reward to the target price that we have, um, you know, but you just can't go in, you know, buying willy nilly, especially when the market, to use this word that we've been using, is, is you know, frothy, extended, you know, call it what you will. Um, but that's a great point, Bob, though. You know, it, it, it's really trying to be disciplined. Um, you know, you can't kiss, what, what's the expression? You can't kiss all the frogs or you got to kiss too many frogs or I don't know, something like that. But we we, we, we do try to be careful uh, and patient. Now, now Bob, um, circling back to a comment you made earlier about interest rates, you know, you're talking about what happened um, in 2011 when U.S. credit was downgraded. But before you and I jumped on and taped, we, we kind of chatted very quickly uh, that the 10 years back over the 4% threshold. Now, for the reader out there, why is this important? Why do you watch this? Yeah, so I'm <clears throat> looking right now, we're slightly under 4.1% on the 10-year 10 10-year yield. And why is it, this 4.4% uh, level seems to be pretty important for, um, for, for investors uh, in not just equity markets, but also fixed income? Because as interest rates start to rise, and we, we had been noticing much more of a supply issue with uh, with fixed income as they start to rise and they become a little bit more um, challenging for equities, right? Let's let's put it this way: if if equity returns start to come down and we see uh, fixed income levels at a much more attractive level, you're earning 4.2 to 4.5, maybe 5 percent, right? And 5 percent on the two-year bond or today, um, you're going to see many more money flows coming out of stocks. And going going into into bonds, and that's generally not great for 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 the equity markets. But so so hang hang on. So what what you're getting back to is something that you know we saw earlier this year, where um, you know the notion had been that interest rates were so low, right? Oh, geez, Tina, there is no alternative but to go into the equity markets. Uh, emerged, and as we've seen interest rates move higher, the Fed funds rate, and now some others, uh, the notion is that yes. There could be at least some alternative to being in the stock market. Is that is that kind of where you're going? That's correct. That's right. And it's not just cash. It's just uh, you know fixed income money. Um, <clears throat> this this all comes back to this rating that's downgrade today. We talked about it earlier. Are, are now are, are people going to all of a sudden get worried and nervous and start selling their treasury bonds? Which we did have a huge influx of the past a year or so of people buying treasuries and not going. Not, not putting your money and getting paid, what, 25 basis points to have their money in the checking account at, at JP Morgan? Or do I want to put my money in a, in a treasury for six months, eight months, a year, and earn four and a quarter? You know, it, it's a no-brainer. So people have been doing that. So all of a sudden, are people going to get worried and nervous and start selling their treasuries? I'm not. You're not. I mean, I don't think anybody else is going to, is going to, to get nervous and worried about that either. But as long as that yield is up there, 
um, and it's attractive enough, you're going to continue to get more money flows into that. And, and that means less money into, into equity markets. It's been that way for about six months now. But as you said earlier, only a select few stocks have been driving the stock market for the better part of 2023. You know, this Magnificent Seven. Has it dragged up other companies? Sure it has. But for the most part, we're seeing that uh, equity markets are, are not working um, as, as well as we think they should um, because of this uh, situation with, uh, with so, trade. So let me, let me add something and then ask a question. So, you know, over the last couple months, as you pointed out, we have seen some alternatives. We've seen a lot of what are now called high interest rate savings accounts, 4.1%, 4.2%, 4.3%. Even Apple jumped into the game, right? I, I, I believe you're a consumer of that, as am I. Um, you know, so there, there are some alternatives out there. Um, but I, I do think though that, you know, six months ago, the view that the economy was going to have a hard landing was far greater. You know, the, the prevailing narrative now is, oh, it looks like a softer landing. Uh, I'm still not sold that the Fed is done raising interest rates. You know, we will, I, I need to see more data on that. Uh, I know the market thinks it's done. You know, it could be hoodwinked once again, we will see what the data has to say. Um, but I forgot my question, Bob. I I, I started to I started well, talking. Well, I forgot my question. Go right ahead. Well, the you know Fed funds futures, of course, Chris, um, adjusted today on that very very strong ADP report. And mm-hmm. you you mentioned it this morning. You said, "Holy crap, this is this the jobs report jobs uh, market remains super strong." And, and I think I I think to use the Bob Lang term, El Fuego. El Fuego. That's right. It was extremely hot. Now now we're seeing about about a 30% chance of a rate hike in November. I think, uh, in my view, they're going to pass in September. And the next rate hike will come either in November or December, and they may be on hold for a little bit longer. But, you know, of course, if, if inflation starts picking up, we've seen oil prices coming up, Chris. You talked about this recently. Oil prices, oil is $80, $82 a barrel now. Mm-hmm. Gasoline prices out here in California, absolutely absurd. Five sixty dollars a gallon out here, Chris. So, yeah, I, I, and unfortunately, I got a car that doesn't that gets 14 miles to the gallon. Um, well, my advice to you, Bob, is get an EV. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would have been great, right? They didn't have anything available for me. Only had, hey, hey, you know, I was looking. Oh, for, you didn't go to you didn't go to Hertz. I I went to Enterprise, and they only had a a car that was a. Uh, uh, go to Hertz. I, I'm a Dodge. I, I went with a muscle car, Chris. Wow. You can see me driving around the, with the uh, Dodge Charger. How about that? I'm sensing a midlife crisis is what I'm sensing. Um, no, uh, what was I going to say? That um, no, you are right. I, I I do think that there are some current concerns out there. You know, even during the um, July FOMC uh, presser that Powell holds, you know, the question was if the economy is even more resilient than we think, uh, based on the upcoming data at the time. Um, could this extend the Fed's fight on inflation? And he said it's certainly possible um, because, as you know, the stronger the economy is, the more likely we're going to see stubborn inflation. And we saw that in the ADP report this morning, wage pressure for, or sorry, wage gains, uh, medium annual wage gains, let me get it correct, for job stayers up 6.2%, job changers just over 10%. Uh, you know, some improvement, you know, sequentially, but still, you know, very, very hot. And consider the comment I said earlier about the NFIB. If 89% of the folks who are looking to fill jobs can't find the people that they need, they're going to pay up to get the people they want. 
So I, I think that there uh, is continued to be some pressure there. And that actually ties into the last topic that I want to talk about. Um, since you and I last spoke, Bob, um, the Teamsters and UPS seem to reach an, a, a, an agreement that, you know, you, you can read the press on it, you know, yourselves, readers, but um, and listeners, um, very favorable for the for the um, Teamsters. And on that news, we exited Ford shares, you know, between $13.75 and $14, because I was concerned there would be spillover as the UAW starts to negotiate uh, with the big three, uh, obviously Ford Motor, General Motors, and Stellantis Chrysler. Uh, and then there's a story out, Bob, that they're looking for double-digit wage gains and, and, you know, and several other things, including, I, I believe, across the board, re uh, retirement benefits. So, um, you know, far more costly, I think, potentially than what folks were thinking, you know, three, six, nine months ago, uh, not only for UPS, but also for, you know, the big auto companies. But think about it, Bob, this translates into higher, you know, wage pressures at those companies. You know, um, there could be some other spillover in this, either in the form of others looking for higher wage gains, which would exacerbate inflation, or companies having to raise prices as they contend with these higher wages that they have to pay. Uh, my concern is perhaps, in, you know, the thought that wage inflation is done might be premature. Um, you know, Chris, if you if you look at go back and look at the unions, right? How the size of the union uh, of the uh, the worker uh, pool in the unions? Fourteen point three million people are unionized in the United States out of the labor pool. So um, that's a pretty pretty good size uh, pool of uh, of workers that are going to be affected by some of these new policies that are going to be coming into into effect eventually or being negotiated at least. Right. You've president who's very pro-union, you know, President Biden is very pro-union, and, and uh, um, he's willing to do whatever it takes to to see these union workers get the concessions that they've been looking for. And it worked in that UPS example that you just gave. Um, that was a good test for, um, for some of these other unions. It sounds to me like the United Auto Workers Union are going to try and, and, and force the hand of, of, of these of Ford and GM and some of these other companies when they're in, in this huge battle with Tesla in, um, in trying to, to sell cars and, and fighting with, these, um, with this EV challenge that, that, that they've Well, not only, not only challenged, but Musk has said he will continue to cut prices. Yeah. yeah. How, how, how do you, I mean, you can't get squeezed on both ends like that and transform your business and deliver you know, margins as expected. It, it's very challenging. It's the Amazon model, right? They're going to keep cutting prices until... They, they, they bring their competition to their knees, obviously in a different different type of scale and different type of product. But, but still, I, I think that you've raised an interesting point about these unions. And, and in the past, we really haven't had such an influence. They seem to have a very powerful um, movement going on right now. And not only that, you know, they're, they're, they're looking at other companies like an Amazon, like a Starbucks, to, to bring union workers to the fore and create a, create a shop that gives them some leverage and some uh, credibility and ability to, to negotiate um, better benefits and higher wages. And uh, I think, listen, at the end of the day, I think it's something that, that, that is needed. Um, companies should have the responsibility of doing that, but that's the reason why unions were created in the first place, Chris, because uh, companies decided to walk all over people back in the early 1900s. Well, 
we're in the workers. A little more than walk over people. They wanted safe working conditions, yes, right? That's, that's right. You know, you know so it, look, I, I'm all for paying, you know, a, uh, what is it? A uh, fair day's wage for a fair day's, you know, um, work. So I, you know, we, we will see how, how this all goes out. But, you know, again, the, the more that um, these big unions can get for their members, uh, it, you know, it's a lot like when we saw minimum wage going higher, right? This does not happen in a vacuum, right? Someone has to pay these way higher wages, and that tends to spill over into the companies that um, have to pay them, whether they're raising prices, their margins get cut. You know, there's always that other shoe to drop. Um, and with that, Bob, is there anything that we didn't talk about today that we should have before we get out of here? No, I think I think I said I think. Uh... You know, Chris, the um, economic data has been coming in uh, lately and not 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 the best that, uh, that we've seen, especially uh, overseas and in Europe and in Asia. Um, and, and that could you know, certainly spill over more into the United States. And uh, it has me a little bit worried that um, that the economic uh, boom that we've had so far in 2023, we were probably uh, coasting along at a roughly two percent GDP clip is going to slow down a little bit. And uh um, you know, heading into the holiday period, that's probably not the time you want to be slowing down. Yeah, I mean, I have I've written this. Uh, I do have some concerns about the year-end holiday shopping season. You know, we'll see. Um, I'm going to keep my eyes peeled for real wage growth, wage growth, less inflation. Um, to the extent that we get that, and or uh, it strengthens between now and the year-end holiday shopping season, people might feel a little bit better. But I mean, you know, over a trillion credit card debt, high borrowing costs. Um, you know, you mentioned gas prices going higher, credit card uh, APRs are higher, student debt, you know, coming. Um, you know, very well, Bob, it could be uh, Walmart, Costco, Amazon are the place to be this holiday shopping season. Yeah, well, we have two of the three, so that's uh, that it's good. It's good to have uh, good to have Amazon and good to have Costco in the portfolio. All right. Well, Bob, next time you go to Costco, get that roast beef sandwich. Yeah, absolutely. You get the hot. You keep. You keep, buy three hot dogs if you can for uh, for you, you, me, and uh, you, me, and your son. How's that? Yeah, you, me, and Tony, your dog. <laughs> Tony, <laughs> there you go. All right, Bob. Thanks for joining us, and uh, listeners. We'll be back next week with another AAP podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>